This podcast is part of the Shareable Podcast Network. Learn more at shareable.fm. You are now listening to the Heroic Council. Everybody looks super duper. We're still going to work on Sarah's whole situation. Especially you, Jeff. Thanks. <laughs> it's all because of you, really. Uh, maximizing myself for the moment to welcome you back to the Heroic Council. My name is Jeff Gibbard, and I am joined with all three of the superheroes on the council today. I have with me Parshal Tashi, I have Tim Muley, and I have Sarah O'Hanison. And today we're going to be doing the episode. The episode you've all been waiting for, that you've been asking for. You haven't said it out loud. You haven't commented anywhere or actually specifically asked for it. But I know somewhere in your mind you've been thinking, I wish they would do this episode. This episode is going to be the imposter syndrome episode. So we're going to get on it and we're going to talk about it. Remember that you can join the Heroic Council every single Friday at 1 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. And we're going to talk through a bunch of issues that are relevant to you as a person, as a business person. And, uh, you know, we'll answer your questions if you've got them. Just like this episode is the, the thing that you were thinking but didn't say out loud. We're going to do that today. If you want to subscribe to the show, which we highly encourage that you do, you go to superheroinstitute.org slash heroic. That's where you can find a way to subscribe via YouTube, via Periscope, via anywhere that we stream at Facebook, either on the group or on the page, as well as all of our podcasting channels, whatever you like to use best. Without further ado, let's get to the episode. Let's start that intro that gets everybody hyped. This podcast is part of the Shareable Podcast Network. Learn more at shareable.fm. Just makes me want to like rip my shirt off right now. It's so hyped. Ah, God, I love it, people. What is up, superheroes? It is so nice to see you all. You too, Jeff. Yeah, you too. You're good. Thank it's you. Nice not to be uh, abandoned for another week <laughs> we have had a tough run of things haven't we like we've all had to go our separate ways at times but you know what i'm appreciative of i'm appreciative of the fact that we kept this going even though not all four superheroes could be here at once we still kept the whole thing on the on the on the rails i listened to uh the episode that i was not a part of really enjoyed it um uh despite me not being a part of it you know that's that's typically very rough for me to enjoy things that i'm not a part of um no but it was, it was really great and uh i'm super glad that we're all finally back together and I, I hope that we can keep this running for quite a while so today we're going to talk about imposter syndrome something that um i know everybody and their mother is completely familiar with i've interacted with some of the biggest names uh in in speaker industry and they all talk about it and i was like say what uh, but it's a thing that we all deal with. So I figured a good place for us to start was just to, one, I think kind of talk about like what is imposter syndrome? Uh, you know, what, what exactly is that thing? And then talk about, you know, do we think that this is something that anyone can possibly avoid? And then just kind of talk about some of our experiences and how we've learned to deal with those in some of those high pressure situations. Um, so let, let, let's start here. Imposter syndrome. Uh, who wants to take a crack at kind of defining what that would mean to you because I'm, I'm interested in how maybe our definitions of what this thing is i can go i this, this is sarah so i think that imposter syndrome is this feeling of like 
doubt, I'm a fraud, I'm inadequate, um, that hinders pretty much everybody at one point or another. Anything to add to it? Um, yeah, I, I'd also add just uh, this is this doesn't really change her definition at all, but um, I'd also add it like as you're going through your career, there will be moments where you have to uh, essentially project a level of expertise and competence um, in some things that you may not feel. You know that there's a lot of stuff you don't totally know about that field. And so that can give you, you know, that can push even deeper those feelings of, uh, of imposter syndrome. I, I know, you know, I felt that way, like many times in my career. Uh, and um, it definitely drifts away, but it's still there. Barshall, anything to add to? Yeah, uh, to me, I, I think of it just being like, you know, you feel like you're a fake. You feel like, you know, what you have to say or do in some ways is uh, is not the elite status or whatever. It's kind of like a belittling of, of, of how you see yourself and just kind of your, your conclusion is that you're a fake. You must be a fake. And it just sort of drives um, sort of this negative way that uh, I guess we see ourselves. So the one thing that I would add to it, I, I was interested to hear the way that each of you uh, explained it. But the one thing that I would probably add to it Oops, hold on, I just got Rift accidentally. Whoop, did it again. Okay, there we go. I have multiple boxes on my screen. I'm not sure why that one's still there. It doesn't matter. Okay, so the one thing that I would add, there it goes, it's all better. The one thing that I would add that I, that I didn't hear in any of your descriptions is that it's, a com it's something that is completely made up and it is based on nothing other than your own insecurity. So I think that's like a super important part about imposter syndrome and, and you know, fraud syndrome or any of the other names that it has to it is that I think that we it's super important to highlight that it is based on absolutely no real evidence. It's based on a feeling and that we all experience it and feel it in these moments where we're where likely we've been hired as experts. Right. So like all of the evidence would support that because we are being paid as the expert, we've been invited as the expert, all of the different things. We come into that, even though all of the evidence supports that, saying, I do not belong here. So it's like it, it's actually counter to all of the evidence that would uh, be presented to you. So the, I think that's one of the things that's so interesting about imposter syndrome. And so can I actually push back on that just a little you bit? Can, absolutely. Not like 100 percent. I because uh, I, I think, you know, um, depending on where you are in your career and, and your knowledge about things, like I could say pretty confidently that early in my career, um, I was really learning as I as I went along. You know what I mean? And I'm not implying that they shouldn't have hired me or anything along those lines. But I definitely feel like now I'm speaking from a deeper level of experience than I was before. So I feel like in some ways I'm not saying I was an imposter, but some of the ins insecurities that are attached to imposter syndrome may have been somewhat justified based on where I was at the time, if that makes sense. I think that's fair. And I, I don't want to, um, I'm not like a hundred percent like being like, Oh, what you said isn't true. I was just no, like, no, I know. And know. I just want to clarify kind of the, the, the point that I was trying to make there was not so much that like you absolutely know what you're doing as much as the other person has hired you to. And like, it's not like you're, you're 100% equipped every single time. Like we all feel that way. Right. I'm not saying yeah. that what I'm suggesting is, is that if you look at the evidence, the, situ the situation that you're probably in where you're experiencing this feeling, 
you've probably been put in that position because someone believes something about your level of expertise. And if we even take that example that you just gave and you look back in your career, any of the times where you maybe felt like, I'm not exactly sure if I'm qualified for this or if I can actually mm -hmm. do this thing I sold. Out of that, let's say out of every 10 times, how many of the times did you fail to actually come through? Mm -hmm. In my experience of working with you, I can't think of a single time. So if you look at not only the evidence before the fact, but also you look at what the outcome of it is, you actually did figure it out. It makes me think of there was this uh, quote by Steve Jobs um, uh, that I'm going to find real quick because I think that it's an ideal um, uh, uh, quote for for this uh, this particular thing. Um, so talk amongst yourselves for a moment while I find this because <laughs> I think it's really. Good but I, I think I think it's it's really uh, one thing that came to mind. It's like based on your definition, Jeff, is that it's all driven by a story that you tell yourself based off of, you know, whatever information or evidence, as you said, Jeff is, is there, you know, we take that and then we make up some way that we generated ourselves, you know, and that I think kicks that. And I think it, it seems like it becomes a syndrome or something to really title when it's like, you know, excessive and yeah. it just completely drives you. Yeah. And that I can definitely relate to just like, it just drives you. Um, because you're just so fearful that you're going to lose out, you're going to miss out on business, you're going to get fired, you know, you're going to do a horrible job. Like for me, those are the things that just um, I've noticed recently, just sort of always running back in my head sometimes. But if I if I know and I'm looking at the evidence, there's a different story I could come away with than what I'm telling myself. You know what I mean? So yeah. I just think, you know, yeah. the spin that you put on it, Jeff, was really interesting. It's like we're we're generating. It's not like somebody else is, you know putting it on us. We're the ones who are looking at data and then putting a story to that data and whatever story we put on it, it determines how we feel, how we go about the rest of our day and week and treat everybody and all this stuff. Yeah. And the, the quote I was looking for that I can't find, I don't want to waste too much time looking for it, but it's a quote by Steve Jobs where he was giving you, if you've ever seen that, it was a Stanford commencement speech, I think that he was giving, but he basically said something along the lines of like, the thing that's really important to recognize is that all of the great inventions, all of the great innovations of all time were created by people who are no smarter than you and me. There are people that basically were just figuring it out. Nobody has it all together. Like nobody has their act completely together. And I think that what imposter syndrome really is, is it's the delta between the false expectation that there are people that have their, that they have everything together and that you don't, right? That you're fundamentally different from the other people who didn't have their stuff together, but did amazing things. That's tends to be how I look at it. Um, so like, let, let's actually rewind a bit. Let's talk a little bit about experiences of fraud syndrome. And I think what's interesting as I listened to what Tim was saying was, how it actually changed for you over time, right? Like that there was a point in your life where you felt it more profoundly and now you feel it less frequently. So like as time goes on and, and your experience grows and you begin to see the evidence to support that maybe you're not a fraud, that it becomes less and less. So let's look back at that. So um, who wants to start it off? But like talk a little bit about a time in your life where you felt like, you you just were a complete fraud. You were you didn't belong there. You didn't know what you were talking about. What you had to say was of not was not of value. Um, somebody believed that you were better at what it is than than you thought you were. It was just terrible. And then take us from there to what's different now. I got you, you. okay. So um, I uh, I think um, uh, let's see. 
So rather than like a, a very specific example, uh, I think I, I always had like really high expectations, not necessarily for myself, but what, you know, like really great work looks like in particular, um, particularly creative work. And uh, I would like, you know, I would consistently comp compare myself to what, what was inspiring me to do creative work. And, you know, early on, you know, I, um, I wasn't in my mind, I wasn't meeting up to uh, my, my inspirations more or less, you know, uh, like my work wasn't meeting up to that expectations. So there was constant disappointment and also in the back of my head, not even on a rational level, but more on a, a subconscious level. I think I was assumed that my clients and the people I worked with also expected the kind of work that I, you know, really looked up to. And I assumed that if I wasn't delivering work on that level, then uh, then they were, then at the end of the day, they were going to be really disappointed. And to be clear, I still experience that to some extent now, but like when it does come up, I'm very aware that it's kind of like a phantom feeling more or less, you know? Um, and and where, where now, like I can, I don't wanna say, anything but generally when i when i see a piece of work or or something of inspiration i usually feel really confident that i could execute something on on a similar level nowadays so um uh so so it doesn't really hit me as hard you know if if i like now it just really comes down to do i know the process to get that thing done because i know i'm pretty confident that if i know the process i can get that thing done does that make sense it does what changed so like, how did that happen where like now you can recognize it as like a false flag that you're able to like kind of step back and kind of see it for what it is Yeah. Just when it felt very real? Because I think, you know, the, the kind of the crux of this imposter syndrome thing is that it does feel exceptionally real to us. And it's a thing that stops people from being able to publish and do their best work and give their gifts to the world. So I think my, my hope from this episode is that we identify what that shit is and we crush it right now so that people can do their work, their best work. Have you have you ever heard of um, the uh, the gap by Ira Glass? I believe have you ever heard that. No. Uh, so it's this theory on like creative development in general, um, and it it pretty much says like people get into creative fields because they have good taste and they want to be able to create work that kind of aligns with their taste. Um, but when you start doing the work. You know, you don't have the skill set and the uh, and the um, the experience and the practice to really meet up to your expectations and your taste. So when you start doing the work, you're always really disappointed. You know what I mean? Because you because you know what what you want and you can't get it at that point. You know, and what and mm -hmm. and mo and the reason why he calls it the gap is because it's the period when you realize you're not there yet to make that kind of work that you want. And that's when people quit. You know what I mean? It's like they think like, oh, I'm not good at this thing. So I'm going to drop out and, and just do something else. But like what he says is like when you get there, you just have to make a lot of work. Like you just have to make a ton of work and just keep working. And then and then slowly and slowly you like chip away. And then you until you can reach those those like initial taste expectations that you had. And um, and, you know, like this entire time, like over the last four years, I've always made a product, which in general could sell to somebody. You know what I mean? Like I might not be able to sell my work from four years ago to the clients I'm working with now, but in general, you know what I mean? Like there was somebody who would buy what I was selling, you know, um, where, uh, now like, but I, I guess like, like I see a lot of evidence. I, I think I actually see a lot of evidence on a regular basis 
of, uh, of my competency. And I get my competency reinforced way, way more frequently than I did like four or five years ago. Uh, and, and, and that, and that becomes kind of like, almost like a, like a positive feedback loop, you know, like the more positive feedback you get, the more you, you believe that you have the skill set to continue to do great work. And it kind of just reinforces itself until like those feeling, those like feelings of, um, of, uh, of, of, of imposter syndrome slowly start to fade, you know, like I'm always working on something that I've never done before. So like it definitely creeps up on a semi-regular basis, especially when I don't have an established process and I'm just trying to figure it out as it goes along. But um, but but right now, like at, even when I'm at that stage, I know the only reason I'm freaking out at this moment is because I'm developing the process, you know? Yeah, totally. It reminds me of the Dunning-Kruger curve, that idea of the gap that like there's yeah, a point yep. where like you learn a little bit about something and you think you're an expert. And then there's that point where you learn just a little bit more and then you like fall to the bottom of the mountain. You're like, oh my God, there's so much more to learn. And again, of course, the problem with the Dunning-Kruger curve, as we know, is that most people stay at that top point of the mountain where they think yep. they know everything yep. they freaking don't. But the, the point is that when you hit that kind of trough, your point from, from Iron Glass is you actually have to work through that it's not give up at that point yeah. work through that learn more dig in deeper and get to the point where you recognize that you actually know a little bit and that's actually on the dunning kruger, kruger curve there comes a point where you've sloped up to a point where you actually know a lot about this particular subject yeah but the process takes the time yeah so, and you've you've walked me off the cliff a couple times with with that stuff because like i got to the point where i realized how little i actually knew you know what i mean like i realized how how much there was and and uh and how much further i had to go still to really understand this stuff yeah. and like i wasn't like gonna quit or anything but like i felt really unexperienced at that point you know what i mean i i had tipped over like where i thought i knew something and then i realized that i didn't know that much and then i'm like oh i can't be selling my work i don't know what the hell i'm doing you know what i mean and then like like you talked me off the cliff there a few times um yeah and now i'm at dunning kruber Part two, where I think I know everything again. <laughs> I don't think it's knowing everything, but I think hopefully you get to a point where when you realize how little you know, that's empowering more so yeah. than discouraging, where you say, wow, there's just this whole world that I still get to explore. Like, how sad is it when you feel like you get to the point where you actually know almost everything there is to know about a particular topic because you're just, you're done now. And if that was a thing you were excited about, like, wow, you just hit the wall and, and that's sucks. Yeah. Yeah. So, Parshel, you you have a background not just in being your own business owner and also working in video and dealing with all the things that creative goes through, but prior to that, you worked as a teacher, which I can't even imagine how much that alone can inspire the whole uh, like who am I to teach people like that because that's often where it comes up. I've noticed in my in the in my world, it's come up a lot is in teaching other people. When I feel like now it's my responsibility to, to pass along knowledge, I'm like, well, who the hell am I? Why does anybody want to listen to me? So talk to me about some of your kind of past in dealing with it, either as a business owner, as a teacher, wherever, and kind of how imposter syndrome has kind of settled in for you and where you're at now. Yeah, when uh, when you guys were talking, one thing that came to mind was uh, my very first wedding gig that I got. Because after teaching, you start you know, uh, I, I started to really take on any kind of job that I could take, you know, just to get into video, get immersed in it, decided I would, um, and I was doing this while I was still teaching, but I got my first wedding gig. I think I probably got paid like 700 bucks or something like that for it. And I was, first of all, like shocked that I even got that. Um, 
But I remember being at the wedding shoot itself and there was a photographer there and the photographer was like the biggest name photographer, <laughs> you know, in the, uh, in the whole state, pretty much like the whole East coast, the guy was like bad. And, um, I didn't really know that much about him at the time, but I remember him walking up to me and he was like, oh, what, you know, what are you doing? Cause I had a camera too, a DSLR camera. And, uh, and he asked, um, all right, cool. You know, so the lighting is looking like this today, you know, what setting are you using? <laughs> you know, what do you have your, your F stuff? And I'm like, my what? <laughs> <laughs> I was just learning. And then he says, oh, you probably have it wide open, don't you? And I'm like, yeah, I do. Yep, I do. <laughs> I didn't know what I was talking about. And I think at that moment, it was like just this flood of emotion, like, oh, my God, I like, what am I doing here? <laughs> I should just like, you know, go stick back to just teaching school. Like, why am I going to do this? But um, fast forward, especially when we talk about teaching and feeling like, you know, how am I even qualified to teach? Um it's just, it's just that I, it's just so different now. I really don't have um, that set of fears, except now it's just onto something else and something bigger. Because some of the work that I'm starting to do and produce is just like a whole other challenge. And I, um, I'm just really glad for this conversation because it just connected me back to that moment when I felt like I don't know what I'm doing. Um, but that project, that video that we did uh, with that wedding, is like been one of the best rated wedding videos I had done in terms of viewership. I mean, people mm. still to this day see it and comment on it. And um, that for me just kind of gave some reassurance because now I'm looking at the data and coming away with something that just kind of takes the cake for me. It's like, well, psh, I knew I didn't feel like I could do much then, but I was still able to produce something that meant something to somebody else and, um, you know, and just just made a difference in that way. So that kind of relieved me, <laughs> if you will. And just uh, I think now when I look at the kind of work that I'm taking on, um, I I'm just reminded of that and knowing that, you know, it's what, what it's really about, which is helping other people. So it kind of calms me down a little bit. And uh, I, don't, I realize I don't have to be the full expert. You know what I mean? Like we're all nobody's the expert really in anything. You can't know 100 percent like you're saying, like you can't know 100 percent of everything. So we're all just figuring it out. <laughs> you know what I mean? And but, even those uh, people that are at that level, I, I mean, I've talked to some people that I look at from the outside and I think this is another piece of it is like outside perception versus reality. Right. So like I've talked with some people that are like really big name speakers and people are like top of the game and I'll talk to them and, you know, talking about what they're doing, they're very humble about everything. And then they'll, they'll get up and talk to the group and start talking about how like, you know, they still, you know, get nervous before every talk mm -hmm. and they're worried that like, you know, they're going to get booed off stage and all this sort of stuff. And I'm like, wow, you, like you, you, the person I'm like looking up to. Wow. Okay. So this is like a thing that like we all have and it doesn't necessarily ever go away. You just get better at recognizing it, managing it, understanding when it's real, when it's not. Um, so yeah, no, I, I really appreciate that. And I appreciate how, you know, between you and Tim, um, both of you working in creative fields, it's actually kind of a unique situation because you have past work to look back on, right? And I know when I look back on any kind of past work I do, like strategies even, which is somewhat creative work, I look back on previous strategies and I'm like, that was garbage. That is the worst. <laughs> I can't believe that I wrote that. That was terrible. And meanwhile, all the clients were always happy when I delivered these strategies. They're like, wow, this is really yes. impressive. Yes. But I look back on it now, knowing what I know now, and I look back and I'm like, oh, that's garbage. That was terrible. I left out these like different things and I didn't explain it graphically and I could have this and I could have that. 
So it's interesting, you know, especially as creatives is that like you're dealing with it in real time of like, am I good enough to do this thing? And Tim talks a lot about the the process of like when he's delivering work, there's like the whole beginning phase of it where you're like, I hate everything. Everything's terrible. And then it starts to come together and you're like, oh, it's actually pretty good. I like this. Yeah. So there's like this funny process for creatives where you like deal with it in advance of the work. You deal with it while you're putting the work together. As the work comes together, you put it out there and you have like this momentary uh, thing where you're like, ah, this is pretty good. And then after that, you move on to the next thing and you start learning more. And then that work gets recontextualized in your current scope of knowledge. And you're like, if I could go back and do it again, I would do this, 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 and that, but you never could have done that back then because you didn't have that knowledge. So it's like, it's, it's such an interesting, um, particular challenge for the creative world. Yeah. Sarah. It doesn't really seem to go away, but yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. Like, sure. <laughs> but it's there. So Sarah, you were dropped into a leadership role in marketing early in your career. Yeah. In your first job, basically. So basically like you worked your way into this thing and you wound up at the point where you're the CMO of this organization that was at the time, like what, 25, 27 years old, right? Like, so it's, it's an organization that has a track record of success, well-known, does its thing. And you come right out of college, move up the ranks. How many times per week, per month, <laughs> you encounter the, do I belong here? Why is anyone listening to me sort of stuff? Yeah. Well, you read my mind, Jeff, because I was like, this is the perfect thing to talk about. And you mentioned time. And it is amazing to me as I reflect back how, well, how long it took, but also, you know, that time really, really makes a difference and age, wisdom, call it what you will. But it was almost like over time, I got my place at the table where I felt like I deserved to be there. So going back, it's interesting. When I was really young and entering my career, I was blessed to have uh, leaders of our organization who brought me to the table, right? Like I, I had a seat at the table. I was sort of thrown into a leadership role pretty quickly. And I'm, like I said, really uh, grateful for that experience. But it is shocking now when I, as I look back on how many times I think, God, I was so nervous to be there and I was so scared and I was so intimidated as this one young two female um, being in these rooms sometimes. And uh, I'm so grateful for it because, you know, you're diving into the deep end is how you're going to learn to swim. And I did. But you know, it really it really wasn't anything that I could do aside from take the time and kind of earn my stripes for myself, right? Like, but I gave myself those stripes and it was such a, a personal and um, a feeling that I was projecting on myself over time. I just felt like I was too young, too female <laughs> to be there. And then over time, you know, that just sort of started to dissipate. I got more and more confidence every time I said something in a meeting and someone said, that was a great idea, or I'm so glad you were here today, or thanks for being at this dinner party. Um, but yeah, it just, it really took a lot of time for me to get there. It's such an interesting point that you brought up there though, that a lot of this actually, despite being so internal, like there's so many things that's on you, like how you react to things. You kind of brought up the point of like being a female in the room and being thrust into this role. So being young and being female and then partial, I'm, I'm sure you've had instances where, you know, female, black, young, all of those things coming against you. I've obviously never had to deal with any of those particular things. But the fact that so much of this is internal, that what we face, the externalities can actually 
condition you to have a harder time overcoming that, that like you're used to potentially not getting those kudos and maybe somebody else does or not being able, you know, being the person in the room that's being told to take notes rather than actually participate. So there's all of these different things that in terms of like how we as leaders in our own companies create a culture that uh, helps to kind of suppress the imposter syndrome uh, instinct that I guess we all have. Um, that's something that I actually hadn't considered as part of this conversation, partly because that's not something that I'd ever really encountered. So I really appreciate you bringing that up. Um, Parshel or Sarah, do you have any more to say about that particular, um, that particular thread? Well, just yeah, as, I, oh, sorry. I, I was just going to say, just, just as a quick resolution, what I would try to do then as a, once I got my, my confidence in this space, I would make sure that I was inviting people to participate and saying, I want you here because of this reason. I, I want you to participate. I want to know. And I found myself then as a growing manager, really needing to draw that out of my younger team members. And they would sit quietly and I said, you've got to participate because I want you to. I really value what you have to say in this space. And your opinion matters because of X, Y, Z. And I just I found myself really um, leaning into that and helping them grow uh, as a byproduct. Love it. Parshall? I was going to say it wasn't until I moved to Philly that I really, I guess what you can say, um, I really started to force myself to face these stories that I was telling myself, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So for me, that looked like, you know, and it's some things happened by by happenstance. I could have like uh, requested, um, I'm sorry, denied the request, but like I got invited to like the Pyramid Club or going to different places where there was a certain uh, type of clientele that I could meet with and network with to grow my business. And Going to the Pyramid Club, it was like, you know, the first time I walked up in there, I was like, whoa, am I supposed to be in here? You know what I mean? Mm. And that's when it exposed me. And I decided, you know what? I'm, I'm not going to keep telling myself the story because there's something here for me. And um, and and that's when I just started to just like I joined the Pyramid Club. I was like, you know, going to networking events. Um, I would purposely go to events. In fact, um, there was a point in time where I was really heavy pursuing like the trucking industry for, you know, getting work and doing video with them. And so I decided to go to a trucking conference <laughs> in Florida to network and meet with people there. I'm the only black person there, first of all, <laughs> you know, let alone women, you know, it was just, it was a thing for me. And so I think that over time I forced myself to show up in these places where it's unlikely for me to be. Um, here in San Diego, where I live now, like pickleball was an arena for that for me too, because I'm with all these like older white people, and um, it, it it actually really helped to break down a lot of stories that I would tell myself about why I don't belong there, you know, and I don't fit in. But the more I started to just force myself into these uh, environments, the more I would actually connect with people and realize like, what was I tripping about, like? People are cool, but I think that the key to it is that I I thought that I was worthy to be there, and I think that's what, you know, possibly attracted other people to see the same thing. Mm -hmm. I started it, and then people would see that. Um, that's a really big thing for me. Like I wanna like I wanna go on the cruise ship with all the retired people and whatever, and just be myself and to be cool and to, to find common connection because 
I don't know. It's just it's it's a great challenge for me, and it gets me out of that story um, that I usually put up for myself. So I love the way that you phrase that about the story because I, I think that if you if you really put it through that lens, imposter syndrome makes a lot more sense. Is that you're telling yourself a story about where your place is, where your place is, where your place isn't, what your competency competency is, what it isn't, whether or not you belong in a place or whether or not you don't. And I think. Even just when I look at my own experience with imposter syndrome, it's when I recognized that that was a story and it wasn't necessarily true. And I gave my per myself permission to create a new story. And the new story was that I did belong there. And the new story was that I actually am pretty good at what I do. And the new story was that I didn't have to be perfect because perfect's an illusion anyway. And that I could just be open about what I do and don't know. And then all of a sudden, a lot of those feelings kind of began to like fade away like vapor. Um, and I think that. Um, so I just had a podcast with Christina Blacken and we talked about her work in narrative intelligence that's going live, uh, this coming Wednesday on shareable amazing conversation, but so much of what she's talking about in terms of issues of diversity, inclusion, representation, and workplaces, I think the same sort of thinking around the stories we tell ourselves and how that impacts our behavior could work in this same context. So I really like the way that you frame that. One thing that's common amongst all four of us that I'm curious your take on as it relates to this is that all four of us are entrepreneurs. Um, Sarah, the newest to the game, uh, but taken to like taken to the entrepreneur game like a fish to water. Um, all of us are used to now carving out our own path. Uh, we all have to motivate ourselves to get out of bed, motivate ourselves to get out of bed and do the work, get out of, um, you know, creating our own schedule, not being told what to do. We have all of these pressures of, the autonomy, which is, it is freedom, but with that freedom comes the pressure on yourself to kind of work within that boundary of freedom. Um, I don't want to, I don't want to make it like a, uh, entrepreneurs have to carry their crosses or anything, but like, I do feel like there's something unique to entrepreneurs in dealing with, with imposter syndrome in a way that maybe there are people who, who have a day-to-day -day grind job don't have to in the same exact way. Um, do, do any of you, does that echo with any of you or, or am I just like trying to make it so that entrepreneurs are like, you know, more special or. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I mean, it's weird cause I always feel super bipolar about it. Cause like I will at the same time be like, I hate this, but then like, I don't want to do anything else at the exact same moment, you know, like constantly, like I could be having like the worst client meetings in the world and be stuck on the worst projects and not feel like I'm not making enough and feel like I'm like really stressed out about what comes next. You know what I mean? Like, where's my next project coming from? Um, but simultaneously I'm like, yeah, but working in an office sounds so horrible. <laughs> so it's, it's a, it, yeah, it's a, um, but in general, uh, yeah, I guess, I guess the hard part was really getting going like, cause in the beginning you, uh, there's just the sense that like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to feed myself next week, you know what I mean? Or next month. Um, and for any of you, cause that still doesn't stop for me. And like, I'm, I'm having an amazing, Wait, that hasn't stopped for you. No, no, it never stops. It never, ever stops for me. I literally every day feel like wolves are chasing me and they're ready to tear me apart and kick me out of my house. And that every day. And, and like, again, I'm having a great year. But I feel like at any moment, it will all come crashing down. So I'm curious if any of you have gotten over that hump because I have not. However, you know, it's I don't I think entrepreneurs like that, though. 
Oh, no, I live for this. I Yeah, no, that's what I mean. I think it's like it's not a hump you're ever going to get over because. Oh, I don't like it at all. I, it's, for me, like it feels it. like I have like, for me, it feels like I have like acid pouring through my veins when I'm like paranoid about that stuff. Like I hate that feeling. Um, I, I mean, it's still not enough to make me be like, oh, I wish I could have like a, a 401k. You know what I mean? Or, or you know, you know what I mean? Um, but uh, I, uh, I don't know, like, like this month in particular, I feel pretty good. But like. I, 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 but in the back of my head, I'm like, but am I going to feel this way next month? Like it's, it's yeah. But cause I can say like six months ago, like, especially at the beginning of the pandemic, like, man, was I paranoid back then, you know, back then, yeah. you know, um, uh, Sarah, you're yeah. doing this. You're, you're dealing with that, with that acid pumping through your veins. How am I going to start it? But like, again, you're taking this to like fish, like fish to water. How are you managing yeah. that after a career of having safety and security? Yeah, but I like the adrenaline and I like the the fuel that comes into my body. Like you get a win and it's like, it's like a, I've never done a drug in my life, but like, it's like a hit of something. <laughs> I drink a lot of coffee. I'll relate it to that. Um, and I think that's what's, what's a cool motivator. And like, you're making it for yourself and you're doing it and you're creative and you can see the, the fruits of your labor. Um, the lesson I have learned very quickly, which I'm, I am grateful to have learned this so fast is that this is just about people doing business with and helping other people. And I came from a, a small, medium-sized business environment, and now I'm working with larger corporations. And I think one of the things I learned fast was that these are still just people. And it doesn't matter um, these titles, fancy titles, you know, where they work, what fancy office building they may have come from before COVID. Um, they just want help with getting their stuff done and, and being able to spend more time with their families. Like we all kind of want the same things and that's very uniting. And I, again, I feel grateful to have noticed that and recognized that pretty fast from a ability to sell perspective. Parcel. Yeah, I was going to say, um, I remember that when I, when I had quit teaching and I started, you know, this entrepreneurial world, it's like, I woke up that day, like, okay, now what, <laughs> you know? And um, my mom was the one who, cause she, you know, most of my family are um, like now we're more entrepreneurial, but at the time no one else had done anything like that. It was go to school, get a job and that's just what you do. So at this point I had taught high school for about six or seven years. And for three of those years, me and my mom taught at the same school. Hmm. That's pretty cool? interesting. Was that cool? It was, was like it had its good and bad. Yeah. <laughs> it's good and bad. Um, but I remember that once I quit teaching and I was doing the entrepreneur thing, like she would call me like around like 11 o'clock or whatever. She was on her break and she was like, oh, you must just be waking up. You know, it was just this assumption that, you know, <laughs> oh, you just, you know, since you didn't have to go to work today, you know, because she would be on top of me about stuff. Yeah. She was like, well, since you have to go to work today, um, you know, you're probably just sleeping in, which you're just getting up, you know. And in actuality, I was getting up earlier than I had when I was working, you know, and I started this development of like uh, getting up early and just, or either, you know, just kind of adjusting my schedule. But it was like, as far as time went in, oh, there's no comparison. Teaching after a while, you know, you you know what you're going to teach that day. You got your worksheets planned out. It's more of an admin thing after a point of time. You're just managing mm -hmm. a schedule of content that you're sharing um, and you got your worksheets that you can test and you got a great test. It's just like, it's just more administrative because you know what you're teaching. And so um, anyway, it, it was a lot of work, but being entrepreneur, it was like two to three times that. 
And, um, and I knew that for me going into it, I was concerned that it wouldn't be as easy as everything else had been in my life. You know, I, I did the stuff that I was good at, you know, teaching I'm good at. And so that's just what I did. And so this new thing, it just was, uh, it was so different, but I just found myself um, just dedicating a lot more of my time and energy to it. That story. Yeah, that's the other thing. So hard. Like, you're, you're never really, you're never really off, you know? I mean, like you take days off, but every time I take a day off, like I decide like, like even if I work all weekend, you know what I mean? Um, and I decide to take a day off on like a Wednesday, I still feel like everything's going to come, come crumbling down today because I took a day off on a Wednesday. You know what I mean? Like, like, I, oh my I, God. like everything's going to fall apart now. And, uh, and everybody's going to know everybody's out there working right now. And I'm just sitting here doing nothing <laughs> on the couch. <laughs> it's like, uh, it's like and, uh, it gets worse and worse. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 it, and it, and it doesn't matter if it's like, you know, 9am or 8pm, you know what I mean? Like a client email comes in, you're like, like, even if you're not going to respond to it then, but you know, there's a client email in your inbox right now and you have to deal with that, you know? And, um, uh, yeah, yeah, the, it 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 just never ends, and and I'm not complaining. That's not a complaint because yeah. I really still like the lifestyle a lot. Um, but uh, but it's 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 a perpetual machine that you have to keep going. The two of your stories really is super resonated with me. Like partially the, the the conversation with your mom. I remember that I had started my agency and I had been running my agency, working for myself for several years at this point, and my mom was like, "You need to get a job," and I was like, "I." I started a company and I How are you not impressed yet? Right? Like it's just like a mind-boggling thing to me. And I and I think kind of to the point of you know what you're both saying about like this, people have this assumption of what it looks like because you make your own schedule that like you just like like your life is actually easier potentially. And I don't think everybody thinks I mean, I think a lot of people know entrepreneurs are maniacs, but I think some people have this assumption that you just kind of like you have total freedom. Nothing can be further from the truth. And I think that the point of what Tim's making about like an email comes in at eight and you notice it and that maybe you have trouble falling asleep because you're like, should I answer that? I will say this though. One thing that I did in starting 2020 because you know, I had my agency, got acquired. And after I left that agency, I was like, I really, I took some time off. I tried to think about like, what do I want to do? How do I want to do this? And one of the things I made a commitment to is that in starting this next business, I was going to be much more clear about my dividing lines. I was going to be much more rigid about the space between when I'm on and when I'm not. And I got to tell you, for this entire year, I've been very, very committed to that. I've done it. And it has it has changed my entire life because I remember there were times where I would work, you know, into the night, 2 p.m., 3 p.m., 3 or 2 a.m., 3 a.m., getting work done. And I no longer do that stuff, but once in a while when I'm feeling inspired, uh, inspired, but it's not because I feel the, the pressure from a client because I say, these are the times that I work. These are the times I don't, it's in the onboarding email. I'm very clear about who I will and won't work with. And I think the more, one of the pieces of advice I kind of wanted to come into this episode with was kind of the, the, the resolution that I found for imposter syndrome is the more in sync you can become with your brand of like who you want to be in this world and what you value and like being congruent across everything that you're doing, the more easy it is to avoid that imposter syndrome because you don't feel like you're actually lying in any sense whatsoever, which is I think where the imposter syndrome comes from is like this 
small sense of dishonesty of like, I'm not necessarily as good as I said I was, right? Whereas I feel like if you are very clear on what you're good at and you're willing to say, I'm good at this thing, and you say, I love to work at these times because that's when I'm energized. So that's when I work and I don't work at these times. And I don't like to work with people that fit this sort of personality profile, but I work with these type of people. And the more you can do all of that so that everything you're doing is open, honest, transparent, out in the open and like aligns with what you're about, it becomes so much more freeing because you no longer have to have this conflict of like, well, am I saying something that doesn't feel right to me? Like everything you're saying is exactly who you are. Like I never have to think when I say Spider-Man is my favorite superhero, like, mm, do I feel weird about that? No, I don't. He's amazing. I can't wait to play the next game. See what I'm saying? Yeah. I think one of the things that's important is like, that's like fraud is bad, right? Like if you're scheming, if you're, if you're being dishonest, yeah. that is when it's just like, don't even go there and cross that line. Real fraud syndrome. Real fraud. But as an imposter syndrome, like you feel almost at that level, but you're, but you're not. And I think that's a good thing for people to keep in mind. Like, are you being honest? Are you being truthful about what you can do? Are you, are you living into your best capabilities, your zone of genius? Like then, it's okay. Like, I think that's just a good thing to keep in mind. Like if you're being true to who you are and, and your talents and you're being honest and you're there to help people, you're all good. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and, and even like, uh, like going back around to like my original disagreement with you, Joe, now that, now that you say that, like, hold on, you froze up years ago. I, I was, okay, there you go. Now your audio is off. Wait. Oh, no. Okay, there you go. Now start over okay. with where you're from. <laughs> All right. Just to bring it back around with my original disagreement with you and how at the end of the day, you may be correct here. I think I always felt like I had the pressure to promote myself as something better, like more experienced than I was, you know, at the time where it was okay to be where I was at and I would probably be able to be somewhat like successful earlier on in my career without having to be like, I'm, I guess I'm way better than I actually am right now. I don't know if that makes sense. No, like, it does. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you guys know me, like I'm, I'm kind of a, I boast a bit. I'm a little very confident and sometimes that rubs people the wrong way. But like, for the most part, I think the reason why I'm able to ever do that is because I, I, you'll never hear me do that about something that I don't know about at all. Like I, so I try to, if I'm in my zone, I'm willing to say, you know what, I think that I can make this work because I have all of the evidence in the past that typically I'm able to make that work. And I would say the same for every one of you on here, that if you said you were going to do a thing, I'm pretty sure not only are you going to show up and come back to meet expectations, you're probably going to exceed whatever somebody else's expectations were because you each have a drive to do great work and to, to bring your best selves to the work that you're doing, kind of to what Sarah was saying. So I think that that's kind of one of the keys there. And then one of the other points I wanted to make, and I give a shout out to someone who's not with us on this call today, but uh, who I believe we all know, uh, my friend Q had a really interesting conversation with me recently about the um, kind of the difference between time and distance, right? So the idea being that maybe it takes you a lot of time to get to a point where you feel comfortable, but maybe it's actually not the time. Maybe it's the distance, meaning that let's say you have to shoot 28 videos before you feel a certain way. Those 28 videos could take you 28 months. It could take you 28 days. So it's the distance of 28 videos that is really actually what it's about is the experience. It's the depth of doing the thing, going through the motion so that you feel like you actually have 
the experience to be able to, to, to feel comfortable in doing the work, right? So maybe it's not time. There's probably a function of time somewhere in there, but maybe it's actually the distance that it's about leaning in, which I think is, is how Sarah described it, leaning into that discomfort of whether or not you know a thing, leaning into it and just doing the work so that you get over that hump and feel good about it. I also think it helps, you know, not to get too you know, like philosophical, but to to manifest what you're trying to achieve, and it's not to be a fraud or or to be uh, dishonest about what you're doing. But as you're just getting started out, or as you're changing careers, or you're in a new position, you have to kind of live into where you want to be. You know, they used to say, "Dress for the job you want to have, not the job that you do have," and I think that's that's an example of it. Like if you want to be somewhere, you have to start practicing that daily. And Jeff, you and I had a conversation about this yesterday, living into the life you want every day. And some of that can make you make imposter syndrome actually worse because you're like, I'm not really this thing yet, but I want to be. And I think that's important and hopefully an encouraging thing for people to think about. Like, you got to live into it and lean. Uh, I keep saying lean into it, but I think that's a really good way to kind of help you get to that next step where where you want to be. Yeah, uh, like that's that's huge. I, I know and probably for literally everything, but in video in particular, you know, if I want to get paid to do projects with more complex lighting setups, you know what I mean? Then I need to start bringing that to the shoots that I'm doing right now, you know, and, and showing that I have that work. Like, because if I'm not doing that now, then I'll never get hired for it, you know, and um uh and it's easy um, to get stuck yeah. it's easy to get stuck saying yeah. i want to do those projects with with better lighting i want to one day when when i have more time it's like that day's never coming but it's tim what you're saying is so critical like you got to do it now yeah 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 i was thinking um, um jeff you, you broke down some uh some math there when you mentioned the time and or the distance and time and distance divided by speed is i mean distance divided by time is speed yeah. And so regard, I thought about it's like, well, regardless, if you want to do the 28 videos or whatever the content is over the rest of your life, you know, or 30 years, 40 years or in a week. <laughs> and I think that that's that's what it's yeah. about is like making progress, being in motion, going to the next thing. And whatever that is, is better than where you are. You know, we're filling that gap. It's getting more and more rich and we can just progress. So as long as we're moving. I mean, I think that that's, um, that's everything. And the thing about being an entrepreneur is that you have to take responsibility for that. It's even more so, um, I think, you know, you have to just like jump in and be like, all right, this is what's happening. I'm moving forward, put my foot on the gas as fast or as slow as I want to go. Like, I think that's where we get caught up. I'm like, oh my God, like so-and-so is going so much faster or they're already way ahead or whatever the circumstances are. But we're all on the same road, I guess, especially as like entrepreneurs and, and people like let's just be in motion and go from one thing to the next. You know what I mean? I love that. I completely unintentionally used that example after last week's episode was how you filmed and edited 25 videos <laughs> in four hours. I didn't even piece that together that like I was I was giving your episode a shout out. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So true. I think speed is really important. That's what's happening is like there's. Um, everything's becoming faster to do through technology. And it's like, I don't know, it excites me about how much could actually be done um, with, with what's available in front of us. So um, part of me too, and this is like an advice piece that I wanted to share because we're like sharing tips about this imposter syndrome thing. Something that was really helpful for me um, with this <clears throat> was this experience of, okay, I'm in this bottle, 
the bottle is me. The bottle has a label, but I can't see what's on the bottle because I'm inside of it. And I'm taking the opportunity to like ask more people, like, what is it that they see? Like, what's on my bottle? Like, what's, what do you see? Cause I, I don't see it. I'm just being me. I'm just doing whatever I feel. Um, but like, what, what do you see? And, um, and using that to sort of formulate even more. So what is it that I'm known for? What is it that I'm good at? So forth and so on. But the thing I was going to recommend is um, so around the start of this year, I started to think I was like in a huge transition and I was like, you know what? I should just go find a job. I just I was like, I'm just going to go find a job and just just do that. And I, I was serious about it. And I ended up um, working with somebody who's like a resume writer. And I knew that the kind of work I wanted to do was something that's clearly in video, maybe like running a video department or something like that with a company. So I, I hooked up with one of my partners and I invested in getting my resume done because I would need it for this new opportunity. All the stuff that she asked me about, about what I did, you know, and <clears throat> developing this really great, like one, two sheet document of my experiences, what I know how to do and all this. It's like, I didn't even, re you know, I, it was not ever in my awareness. I always thought, oh, just not good enough. I know the taste. I know like what I want to see happen, but I'm not there. So I always doubt, you know, we always downplay stuff, but ever since doing that resume and like getting that done, even though I don't, I mean, I'm looking for stuff if it's there, if I get something or not, I'm good. But um, when I look at that resume and I'm like, oh man, like I really, like it just, it's now I'm looking at the evidence, you know, I'm looking at this, this uh, sheet of data that tells me the things that I've accomplished over the last 10 years of my career doing this. And I can't, you know, I can't uh, shy away from that. I can't think, oh, pff, I'm not that good or whatever. It's like, I it, part of that story that I tell myself is like, you know, the volume went down by like half by doing that. So especially if you're in a creative field and you've, you know, been an entrepreneur or something like that, like, if you get somebody just to help and like update your resume, like ask you all the questions about what you've actually done, um, you'll be, I, I'm definitely surprised. I still look at it like, oh my God, I can't believe, you know, those are, those are the things that I accomplished and those are the companies I work with and all that. I just completely downplay it, <laughs> but uh, going through that experience, not anymore. So it, that's made a big difference in terms of not seeing myself as like this imposter. I have at least this document that I can reference to say, well, Look at this. <laughs> and I have to look at it for myself, too. So it's it was a powerful uh, exercise. And I recommend that. I love that. So as a, a kind of a wrap up point on that, and I'm going to ask uh, both Tim and Sarah for both of you to also kind of share your like wrap up points on imposter syndrome, any advice you would have. But just to, to button that one up is that if you look at the evidence, which is something that my therapist tells me all the time, um, but look at the evidence. Uh, and then kind of to your point, I think one of the things you kind of snuck in there at the end is by documenting it and even having it as an artifact for you to look at can sometimes be a way to actually check yourself in those moments and say, you know what, I'm good, and then be able to move into it. So I yeah. really like that as a, a kind of final tip. Sarah or Tim, who wants to go next on the to, on the wrap up? I can go, Tim. I was going to say something actually quite similar in that if you can look back at your past and realize all the amazing things that have helped you get there that you yourself have indeed accomplished, like it propels you even further 
forward. Um, and another good way to do that, I think having someone help you with your resume is great. I have been through that process also. Um, but just asking friends and, and other previous colleagues to maybe write a LinkedIn recommendation for you and just hear what people have to say. It's, it is self-serving, um, but it's a really positive way to see, you know, what do other people actually think about me? And it's a nice way to boost up that confidence a little bit. We all need that from time to time. Yeah. I know some people who have like, um, uh, like, I don't know, forget what she called it, but it was like, it was like a hug folder. And it's basically like all of the cards that people write you and like all the things. So like, when you feel like you need a boost to jump in there and you're like, ah, oh, these people like me, this, I'm yeah. good. Yeah. Right. We all need that. I mean, come yeah. on. <laughs> I save them all. I save them all. I need every little bit of it. Tim. Yeah. I, I think you really, 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 really need external feedback because I think, uh, like in general, people are really bad at being able to assess their own strengths, weaknesses, and just like where they're actually where they're actually at. Um, I can only speak from my own experience. Like I'm more likely to minimize uh, my my strengths and weaknesses. So like whenever I get the opportunity to have some like legitimate external feedback, um, I uh, yeah, that's really helpful because I, I feel like everything else is borderline hallucination. You know, like they're just stories you're telling yourself. Yeah. The, the other thing, Jeff, I did that might be interesting for people is I did do a personality. It's not a personality test. It's a skills assessment abilities test. Is it the Gallup one? No, it, it's called the Highlands Abilities. Um, and we can put a link to it in the show notes. But it was really a cool, a cool test about your abilities. And sometimes I, I keep that report near my desk because sometimes I just need to go back and look at it. And it's almost like, oh, yeah, I am good at that. <laughs> No, I totally dig that. And it's going to dovetail nicely into my final piece of advice. But um, I, I think there's kind of a two-tier strategy that I would encourage everyone to implement to completely obliterate imposter syndrome. Um, and this is the, the it's you don't obliterate it to this extent where you just never deal with it again, but you have now the tools to completely eradicate it when you encounter it. And the two tools are this. One, radical self-acceptance. And the second is radical self-awareness. So I'll touch on those both really quickly. So radical self-acceptance. When I was like 13 or 14 years old, all I wanted was to be like six feet tall, brown hair, handsome, fit. And I looked in the mirror one day and I said, well, that's not going to happen. So since this is what I'm stuck with and there's absolutely no changing this outside of like the little bits I can do with what I got, this is it. So I might as well just accept it and appreciate it. And I distinctly remember that from in my early teens, that that moment. And it was a it was a pivotal kind of moment in my life to just say, you know, this is who you are. So like, whatever it is, right. And I've carried that through throughout other periods of my life where like, I recognize I'm a terrible employee, right. So that's the self awareness piece, right. So if you're you're radically self accepting that you are who you are, and that you're aware of what you are, kind of to your point, I love all the personality tests because it validates for me that it's okay that I am the way that I am because that is who I am, that's how I am. I don't expect somebody who's like, you know, accountant that's really good at spreadsheets and making sure a, a budget is balanced to be able to think creatively the way that I do, right? We all have different skills. We all have different things we bring to the table. So if you accept yourself for who you are and then you're aware of who, you're, who you are um, and anything that you don't like there that you're willing to attempt to change, it gives you the, I guess, the sort of grounding to say this is what it is, and you don't get caught in that tension between what you wish was true versus what is true. So when you accept what you're good at, you accept what you're bad at, and you do all that, and you just say it is what it is, 
you're willing then to be honest about those things with the people that you work with. So you don't have to feel like you're putting on airs that don't really exist and aren't really true. So I would say that those are the two most important things in my mind. And then when you have that, when you first, when you're totally comfortable with yourself and you seek that external validation and people give you things, those are opportunities for you to learn and grow already knowing who you are and what you're good at and when you're not. So when somebody says, well, you're not very good at like, you know, uh, organization project management, you might go, yeah, no, I'm terrible at it. And that's actually not my thing. So like, you know, what information to let kind of in versus what you keep out based upon what your goals are as a human being. So this has been the imposter uh, syndrome episode. I had a really good time talking about this with you guys. Uh, I really did. It was really, really cool. Um, thank you all for coming in, being super vulnerable about it. Uh, I don't think that we set up who our, uh, what are you really into? Um, so I'm just going to call on someone and this is going to be like a super organic, what are you totally into right now? Jeff, if it helps you, I thought of one. Did you? Well, I'm not going to call on you then. You're going to give us yours next. So it's between Tim and Parshall. Tim and Parshall. Parshall, what are you into right now? Um, I am into right now, uh, I've been diving into learning about uh, production, uh, mm -hmm. but on a much bigger scale, entertainment stuff, um, what actually happens and learning how to apply that to you know, internet media and online media. So I've like really been into that. I have um, a new concept that I'm working on right now uh, to give a little sneak peek to it. This is um, imagine the Muppets as entrepreneurs. That's all I'm going to say. Oh my God. I'm super <laughs> into this. I would watch the hell yeah. out of that. Yeah. All right, Sarah, so, you can go next. What's yours? What are you into right now? So I'm, I'm into, and this is thanks to you. I'm into Dave's killer bread. That's thanks to Tim. So you got that from oh, me. Tim. Got that from Tim. Oh. Yeah, well, that's all Tim. Dave's killer bread's the best bread I've ever had in my entire life. And I think what's cool about it too is that they're like living into their mission and purpose. And 100%. they are, you know, I, I think a lot of brands, and we talked about branding a little while ago, but brands get stuck on they are trying to be authentic, they're trying to be cool. And Dave's killer bread is actually doing it. So yeah, shout out, shout out to them. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh just curious, which one? I'm a huge fan of the green one, which I think the is- The green, it's like seven grains or oh, nine grains. Yeah, so the good. more grains, the better. Oh, no, I, uh, I introduced my fiance to Dave's Killer Bread and she was like, it's bread. I don't understand that. Did you give her the I, green? I, the green one's the best one. I, we tried, like, I, I've introduced her to like three different kinds. And I don't understand this. She doesn't not like it. She just doesn't get the hype. Yeah, I don't, I don't know either, yeah. I'm surprised by this. So yeah. good bread, cool mission. I'm into yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. Talking about making you second guess yourself, right? Yeah, serious. No, Tim, you were right on this. You are not an imposter. That I appreciate is that. damn good bread. Um, I don't think we have a topic set for next week yet, but we have a whole bunch of topics on the board. So I'm sure we'll come up with something that is totally kick-ass and totally awesome. I want to thank our viewers who tuned in live. I want to thank our uh, listeners who are listening to the podcast after the fact or watching the video later. Uh, you're all really amazing. You are not imposters. You are all very good-looking people, very intelligent, and you make good decisions on the media that you consume. So thank you for tuning in for another episode of the Heroic Council, where we talk each week about issues that affect you in your life and your business. We give you permission to be you. We give you permission to go out there, thrive and grow and be the superhero you were meant to be. Subscribe on any of the different places where you can subscribe by going to superheroinstitute.org slash heroic and tune in every week Fridays at one o'clock to see one 
or four of us are anywhere in between talking about cool stuff. Thank you so one, much. And it might be, one day we might have a one. But uh, all, appreciate you listeners. Deuces. See you next week.